Hello, Heritage Church. I have the opportunity to say something for the first time I've never been able to say here at the Bettendorf campus. Welcome, Rock Island, to the simulcast. As you can tell, your Bettendorf family is very excited about this momentous occasion. And we want to thank you for the opportunity to demonstrate something we believe, and that is that we are one church in many locations. And so we thank you for joining us today in this beginning portion of the simulcast. Today we're going to continue in the book of Acts as we explore about the church on fire, that the first century church was an unstoppable force, which begs us to ask the question, what does that mean for us? What does that mean today? What does it mean for us to be a church on fire? Right here, I have an ordinary Lego block. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a such thing as an ordinary Lego block because I think Legos are pretty extraordinary invention altogether. But it's just an ordinary block until it gets placed in the hands of a master and they can create something really cool out of it. Not too long ago, something called The Art of the Brick was a show that traveled all over the world and it was centered around the Lego block as its design element. Artists came from all over the world to submit their designs and as they traveled the world, they showed them off. And some of them are really quite extraordinary. One such person, Nathan Sawalia, quit his job as a lawyer to focus just on designing Lego block art structures, and he has done some incredible things. It is said that he owns more Lego blocks than anyone else in the world. Another is web designer, Sean Kinney. He began to make interesting designs out of his studio apartment in New York City, eventually quitting his job, and his designs are on art museums all over the world and corporations as well. These are just ordinary people with ordinary Legos accomplishing extraordinary things. Now to put this in perspective for you, the 20-foot long Tyrannosaurus Rex that you see here is made of over 80,000 Lego bricks. And so in case you were thinking of building one on your own, the average cost of a Lego brick is about 10.4 cents each. So that Tyrannosaurus Rex will cost you around $832,000 to make. Ouch. And as Americans, we love a rags-to-riches story. We love a good underdog story. We love someone going from obscurity to fame. That's sort of kind of the American dream. Just like one of my wife's all-time favorite movies, Major League. Great movie. Actually, she hates this movie with all her heart. I learned a long time ago, if you wanted to get your wife to leave the room, just put this movie on. She'll be gone so fast, your head will be spinning. And I don't understand why. I mean, besides the superb acting and the incredible razor-sharp intellectual wit of this movie, it's, it's about a bunch of has-beens and never-beens coming together to accomplish something as a team they never could accomplish on their own. Man, that's the stuff of legends. How that thing didn't win an Oscar is beyond me. 
So why do I bring up Legos in Major League? Well, we come across a verse in Acts chapter 4 that has to do with the ordinary. Peter and John have been arrested by the religious leaders of their day, and they're being told not to talk about Jesus. And they were arrested because they healed a lame beggar. We pick this verse up in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, that's the religious leaders, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Notice the two words there, unschooled and ordinary. I think there's this lie that creeps into the church sometimes that people say, listen, I don't have the education or I don't have the degree or I haven't learned enough for God to use me. Or listen, I'm just an average person. Why would you expect extraordinary things out of me? I'm just an average Joe. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the entire book of Exodus, what weaves its way through is this constant idea that God continually uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things, that God wants to perform the extraordinary in your life, which leads to a question. Are you willing to allow God to do the extraordinary in your life? Are you willing to allow God to perform the extraordinary in your life? To find out more about what it means for God to work things from ordinary to extraordinary, I'm going to turn it back over to Dan at Rock Island, and we're going to continue learning here at the Bettendorf campus. Thanks for listening. Off to you, Dan. Something different, something unique. We like change and doing things unique around Heritage. So as uh, Jason said, today's sort of theme is the ordinary to extraordinary. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? In fact, something, maybe a phrase we all should aspire to be like. So why don't we? Acts, church on fire. Revolutionize the culture. What is this ordinary to extraordinary? Well, here's my thought. In talking with many people and having many conversations, I don't think we believe it. I hear phrases like this many times. Dan, you wouldn't understand. I mean, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth like some people were. I mean, life is real, Dan. Life is tough. Some of us didn't have a great home life growing up. Some are now or have been in a bad relationship. There's hurt in my life. There's pain. There's fear. Maybe there's something secret. And you might say, Dan, this ordinary to extraordinary life sounds good, but maybe for everybody else, but not for me. Do you resonate with any of those phrases? Well, I want to do something else different since we're on a roll. I'm going to invite some friends of mine who actually helped me lead the Rock Island campus. They help lead and invest. They're part of my team. I love them dearly. Would you welcome with me Stacy Fox and Kathy Brothers? Welcome, ladies. Thank you. We get to meet weekly, sometimes daily. Sometimes we have fun, sometimes we cry, but we have fun at Rock Island campus, don't we? Well, they're out here today talking about real life, talking about the ordinary to extraordinary, and I know these ladies' stories. We get to have the fun of working together, as we said, and I know one thing, too, with communication with people is that sometimes they don't feel like we as pastors or leaders can connect with ordinary people. 
that we've never had any real temptation, hurt, or pain. And you ladies, as usual, you look nice, you smell nice, you got it all together. I'm sure they've never had any problems. That's why they're on stage today to echo what we all know is that we've never had or dealt with any real world problems. Stacy, I'm going to start with you. You're our children's pastor, Go Kids. So everybody from birth to fifth and sixth grade, you invest with families, with kids, with parenting even. You help us out and do a great job of loving on our families and kids and really appreciate that. But I'm assuming you being a pastor that your life has been impeccable to allow you to be the person you are today. So would you share a little bit of your story with us? I'd love to. People always say that I have this really innocent look, and I love to tell them my story so that they know that's not really true. God's the one who's made me innocent. But before I begin, I'd like to just point out that a part of my story is also my mom's story. And my mom, Diana, she sits right here in this service every single week, and she's an amazing leader with Go Kids, too. But she's really had to overcome some very impossible obstacles in her life, and she's done that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so proud of her. But some of these things will sound a little shocking, and that'll be the first time that people know that about my mom, and so I hope you give her a big hug today. (laughs) Um, Things weren't always that way. See, I grew up in a divorced family, and I lived with my mom until I was 12 and my sister was 10, but my mom had a very serious drug addiction. And I'm not talking about smoking pot. I'm talking about a really, really serious drug addiction. Um, She was also married to a drug dealer. And in our home, we didn't really feel that safe. Uh, Sometimes kids from my school couldn't actually even come over because they knew who we lived with. My grandma, though, she went to church off and on. and we went with her, and, she, and we learned about Jesus there. I loved singing all the songs. And, um, but by the time I was 12, things really hadn't gotten better. They'd gotten worse. And my dad had a salvation experience. And so we decided we would go and live with my dad. But basically, my dad was not the same person at home that he was in public. He was very nice in public and not safe at home. So. My sister and I basically grew up just really confused about our identity as women. We felt like if we were pretty and sexy and had an excellent um, performance that we, we were good women. So once I hit high school, I was really confused about Jesus, mainly because so many people that were around me that had a relationship with Jesus really didn't have any life change in their lives. And I really wanted to be loved, and so I started looking for that love in, in guys. And by the time I was 14, I had become sexually active at such a young age, and that really started complicating things. Um, I started lying all the time and cheating in school a lot, and eventually I started drinking. And then when I was 16, my dad moved us 1,200 miles away from here to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and we literally did not know anyone there except for him. As a 16-year-old, that's very confusing, and I just began drinking a lot. I was drunk almost every weekend by the time I was a senior in high school and had been arrested a couple times as well. I also just began sleeping with people that I didn't even know. Um, I just was a big partier, and every weekend, that's what I did. But I also went to church on Sunday, and this family named Don and Joyce Brunk, 
they just really took an interest in my sister and I. And they uh, just started asking us to go shopping with them and, and take us to lunch. And sometimes they invited us out to their cabin. And, and they just loved on us so much. And they always shared Jesus with us. And, you know, we listened to everything that they said. We really soaked up everything they said because of the way that they loved us so much. Um, I ended up moving in with them the day after I graduated from high school, but it was only a week later that I had a major drunk driving accident. I thank God that I was the only vehicle in that accident because it was really bad. And because that was my third arrest, I ended up having to go to jail. Um, I had been sentenced to three days in jail and then three years of probation. And, but then there's God, right? And that's my favorite saying, but God. Mm -hmm. So when, uh, right before I served those three days in jail, which were quite horrible, um, I came to know the Lord and he changed my life. He really set me free from all the shame that I had. And I, I only asked for a Bible while I was in the jail cell for those three days. And I really experienced true freedom at that point. And that summer, God made it very obvious to me that I was called to ministry. And I really didn't know what that meant at the time, but I knew I was gonna live my whole life for God. And basically, he's been using me for the last 24 years to reach out to people who are just like me. The Bronx and another couple named the Dailies, they loved me and my sister, who were very unlovable kids at the time. And they have basically devoted themselves to teaching us how to be devoted to Christ and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's left a legacy of faith through me to so many kids, so many adults, and even to my mom and my sister. And this all happened because of one unselfish act of love. They gave themselves up to love on us and um, now, them living sent and reaching out to us has caused us to be able to reach out and to be able to show people where they can find hope too. Absolutely. What a cool story, huh? Good stuff, Stacy. Now, Kathy Brothers, you're our community pastor, which means you get to do a whole bunch of stuff. So you head up our counseling, our um, uh, support groups, um, addiction groups, you head up marriage mentors, our weddings, our funerals, and there's a host of more stuff that you do. Kathy does a great job around here helping us out in incredible myriad of ways. But Kathy, you are actually further south than where I'm from. So I'm from born in Mississippi. You're born in South Mississippi. We all know that in the South is the Bible Belt, and how we define that is there's a church on every corner, and there's an environment of churchiness all over. So I'm sure growing up, you must have had an impeccable family and great life that allowed you to be the pastor you are today. So would you again share with us a little bit of your story? I would love to share a small part of my story. I grew up in a single parent home and uh, my dad died of his third heart attack and he left my mom raising three kids. Uh, my brother and I were six years old and my sister was 10 years old. And we had two older siblings that were uh, young adults and married at the time. And my parents did not have a good marriage. As a matter of fact, it was a pretty bad marriage. Uh, they were married 24 years, almost 25 by the time my dad passed away. Uh, but my dad had uh, numerous affairs. Uh, there was lots of anger and pain to go around, around uh, 
for the both of them in that relationship. And so when my uh, dad died and my mom was left to raise us, she was angry with my dad, she was grieving my dad, and she was left with a lot of financial strain and pressure um, in her life. And uh, so what my mom did was she began to drink. And at times she drank a lot. And I remember I was about eight years old about this time that she came home one night after drinking and she was crying so loudly that I could hear it in the house. And I went outside and I saw my mom sitting in the yard and uh, crying. And as an eight-year-old, I was scared to see my mom like that. But even as well as I could understand as an eight-year-old, I could see the pain and the hurt and the agony in my mom. And about that time, similar to Stacy and the people that have touched her life, is that there was a couple in our community. Uh, they befriended us. Uh, they were much older than myself. We thought they were so cool. And uh, they just loved us. They invited us to church. Uh, we did not go at first. They invited us many times. But they just did life with us. Uh, they would bring my mom places. They would hang out with us. He would uh, catch fish and would clean it and bring it over uh, to my mom to cook. And they just helped our family out. And during that time, uh, and I don't know how long it was, uh, that my mom said, you know what? We need to go to church. It's time. And so we started going to a little Baptist church in our town uh, with Mr. and Mrs. Newman, and uh, they loved us. During that time, my mom recommitted her life to the Lord because she knew what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and she had walked away from that during her pain, and she re-entered that relationship. And during that time, I uh, came to know the Lord as my Savior. Uh, my sister and brother did as well. And uh, we taught Sunday school. I sang in the church choir. We were at church every time the doors opened because that's just what you do. And uh, I have great memories of that. And But it, it came time for me to go to Bible college. And I said, you know, Mom, I really feel like the Lord wants me to go to college. Uh, to Bible college. I was saved at nine, but I, the Lord called me into ministry at 15 years old at that little church. And she said, well, you know, if you're supposed to go, then we just have to get you there somehow. And so I went, and there I met the love of my life. And you know what? I just married the guy. And so we've had 31 years together, and it's been great. Uh, when I was 30 years old, uh, my mom died. And I was so thankful to have my mom for 30 years. I just felt blessed. I didn't know what it was like to have an earthly father, but I do know what it's like to have a heavenly father. But I was blessed with an earthly mom for 30 years. And she is my hero. She overcame obstacles uh, with God's help, and she walked through them with God's help. She left a legacy for our family, uh, how important it is to bring our kids up in church. And also for that couple, Mr. and Mrs. Newman, who loved us right in our mess. They were the first couple who actually showed me what the tangible love of Jesus Christ looks like. Hmm. You know, um, some pastors and in church mentalities, they want to lead from a distance, right? You can't get too close. And I think today we want to share with you as part of our leadership team at Rock On, there are many other people that have incredible God stories. But um, Kathy and Stacy, I want to tell you both, thank you for being willing to share, for being real. And I think that uh, we understand that they're beautiful and God has used their mess to become your message. It allows us to lead very close not such at a distance. Would you join me in welcome and, or thanking them for what they've done in sharing today? Thanks, Kathy and Stacy. Great job, ladies. Well, I love our team. They're great. They're phenomenal. There are more stories we'll share later on. They are super. Um, 
But I love that uh, Kathy and Stacy didn't stay there. They allowed forgiveness to take place. They allowed these things. Uh, another thing, if you heard in both of their lives, you talk about living sent around here. Did you hear both had families that came in and invested in their lives? Never, never, ever know what God might do in using us. Well, if you have a Bible or a device, if you want to turn to Acts 4, we're going to jump into our Acts series real quick as we, quite frankly, piggyback on uh, the testimonies there, the stories, real-life stories of Kathy and Stacy. And if you turn to Acts 4, we're going to be specifically in verse 13. But let me give you a little background because we have a short amount of time to finish up today. So I want to do this. Acts 4 is about Peter and John. They're going to the temple, the church, if you will, to pray. And this very popular beggar who is also a cripple, been that way from birth, they speak life into him. The power of Jesus is seen through Peter and John. And so this beggar is healed. It causes a big commotion because everybody knows, okay, this is not ordinary. This is extraordinary. And so Peter and John take the opportunity to go preach, tell people about this love of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who had just been crucified weeks, weeks before. And guess who wasn't happy with that? The same religious leaders that just got through crucifying Jesus. So they said to Peter and John, hey, y'all come here. We're going to put you in jail for a while. And by the way, let's have a real heart-to-heart conversation. Stop it. But as they brought Peter and John before this whole council of religious leaders, let's look in chapter 4, verse 13, what it says. Read along with me in your sermon note guide, or if you want to check out the screens, it'll be there as well. When they, meaning the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and, what are those next two words? Ordinary men. They, meaning the religious leaders, were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know what's interesting that I find very interesting? That as Jesus comes on this earth to form this team, this this, this group of disciples, I would have gone to the leaders, churches, seminaries, found out who the best of the best were, who those who were going to be the best, had the most talent, the best education, Personally, those are the ones I would have chosen. But that's not how Jesus did it. If you're following along in your sermon note, guys, it says this, the first fill-in says, who is Jesus looking for as a disciple? Jesus was looking for ordinary, everyday people. Ordinary, everyday people. Like you and me. This is great news because Jesus isn't looking for the elite, the wealthy, who grew up in a great home life, who have all kind of money or degrees, or maybe they... Jesus, we think, had, was looking for people with no problems, no fears, no hurts, no blemishes. Just the opposite. One of the favorite stories I like to talk about is uh, found in 1 Samuel 16. And it sort of illustrates this ordinary to extraordinary in a pretty simple but yet profound way. God says to his prophet, that is the preacher of the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel, Samuel, hey, I want you to find another king. And by the way, here's a buddy named Jesse, who's a man of God. He's got a whole bunch of sons. I want you to go pick the next king of Israel. So Samuel, being the man of God, the representative of God, goes and says to Jesse, hey, I want to check out your sons. Of course, this is the Dan Shouse version I'm giving you. I want to check out your sons. They go before him. And you know what the man of God does? The man of God watches these guys and says, man, they are studs. I mean, they are tall, dark, and handsome. They're educated, sharp, come from good families. This must be the one. Even a man of God is thinking this. The Bible gives us that insight in 1 
Samuel 16. And in verse 7, God whispers to Samuel's ear and says this. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Thank goodness. People look at the outward appearance. We do. I've watched you ladies check out other ladies coming. I, I didn't know you guys did that. Uh-huh. You do like this. Uh-huh. You check out there what they're wearing. You size them up. They lost weight. Gave. Yeah, we do. Men do the same thing. Like, can I take him or will he eat me? I mean, we do that from first impressions many times. It's true. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Because an accident, a wreck, or a disease can take away the outward appearance. God looks at the potential. He looks at the most important part of who we are. Interestingly enough, the man of God looks at these sons, seven of them, and says, he, he's starting to judge. God says, hey, you can't look at our appearance. You got to look at the heart. And he gets a little befuddled. He's trying to figure, he's like, Jesse, am I missing something or do you have anybody else? You know what Jesse said? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got this little guy. He's out tending sheep. His name is David. We know him as King David. The next fill-in says this, God uses ordinary people. It's how he is seen so overtly in our lives. Because God takes people like a little shepherd boy and does the extraordinary with them. And they don't just say, hey, how cool is David? They say, how cool is God? He wasn't even a pick of the top of the family. In fact, his dad didn't even parade him in front of Samuel. God specially, guys, is in doing the ordinary with extraordinary. And let me ask you a different question personally tonight, or today, I should say. What might be holding you back in living an extraordinary life? You see, if God's specialty is ordinary to extraordinary, then the enemy also has a passion, the devil. He has a passion to strike fear into your life. To paralyze you in in a way to make you think about the past very, very consistently. And it allows you to stay on the bench versus the game of life, a.k.a. a sent life. Let me remind you what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is what? Gone. Out of here. A new life has begun. Now, we are doting on Peter. Peter healed this beggar. As Jesus said, he's the rock that I'm going to build my church upon. Let's not forget something. Days or weeks ago, there was a situation. Jesus was taken. He was beaten and soon crucified. And Peter stood up for him, right? Mm -mm. Three times. He said, no, I have no clue who he is. In fact, some of the scriptures said he uses an expletive. Beep, I have no clue who this guy was. And that's a pretty strong sin. It's the son of God. It's Jesus, not some distant God. It's someone he's traveled in life with for two or three years. So God uses him and says, hey, you'll no longer be a friend. You'll be an acquaintance, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, You see people don't die for the cause unless they, like Peter, who had messed up just days or weeks before, 
have tasted the forgiveness of sins. The screw-ups, the mess-ups. Peter wasn't flawless. He had just messed up. But he tasted what forgiveness looked like. And then Jesus also, as he does in each one of our lives, gives us a purpose and a hope for this life and the life to come. Remember Acts 4.13. The end of that says that the religious leaders saw that Peter and John had been with Jesus. So what? So how do we apply what we've talked about today? In your note guide, there's a couple of blanks with some questions there, and I'm going to ask you to do business with God as we talk about this. First one is this, what do you need to stop or give up in order to live life or live an extraordinary life? What do you need to stop or give up? A couple of thoughts as you wrestle with God right now, because he, his passion is to see you live an extraordinary life. The enemy is trying to help you believe the lie and keep you on the sidelines. So a couple of food, pieces of food for thought. Is fear something you need to stop or give up? It's the opposite of faith. See, God uses faith to allow us to become the person, the people that God wants us to be. But fear does not. It does the exact opposite of faith. Maybe it's hurt and pain from the past. And I'm so glad that Kathy and Stacy, which had every excuse in the world. I mean, really, you heard their stories. They could have lived hurt, angry. They could have lived in bitter lives. But it's not their story. And it's how God uses even the hurt and pain that they didn't choose all the time. Sometimes it was afflicted upon them. Maybe you need to stop or give up that feeling of being inadequate. Man, this is a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm passionate about this. As a leader, I love to see the hearts of people. And as a coach and a teacher, anybody around here that leads people knows that our passion is not to see where they are, but where they can be. And you know what? There's a master coach called God who does the same thing. And your inadequacy is a lie from the pit of hell because God never makes anything mediocre and never makes any junk. And the last thing I, I want us to think about, and I'm using it as a term of, of stop because sometimes we hold on to this. And maybe some of us need to give up forgiveness. We need to allow and give forgiveness, not for the other person's benefit, but for my benefit. All that hurt and pain we just heard about, all the hurt and pain we've heard different stories about, guess if we harbor that, it just fuels the enemy's game plan. God says to forgive so that you can be freed up to be the man, woman, student, college guy, gal that you're deemed to be. And then not just what do you need to stop or give up, but the next thing is what do you need to start doing in order to live an extraordinary life. And I'm not talking about 5, 10, 15 things. What's one thing that if you walked away today, you know God would say, hey, I want you to push on this. I want you to add this. Maybe if for the first time it's, you've been around here a while and, and you, you need to accept Jesus Christ into your life to make him Lord and Savior of your life. On the back of your sermon note, God, is a prayer. And that prayer is nothing mystical or magical. But if it represents your heart, Jesus will come in just like he did with Peter and John, just like he did with Kathy and Stacy and myself. And you will know true forgiveness for anything and everything you've done. And not only forgiveness, which is unbelievable, the second, third, fourth chances that Jesus gives us, but also a life of purpose. Your life is not to be made mediocre, but to live an extraordinary life. Maybe today you need to um, start prayer. That is talking with God. 
Let me add talking and listening with God. On a daily basis, how do you build a relationship without communication? Maybe there's something called a, a manual for successful living. We know it as the Bible. And you can read that or you can apply that. I've heard people say, Dan, I've read the Bible all the way through. Well, that's great. But you know what? Reading in the head, Bible says knowledge puffs up. You get prideful sometimes with knowledge. How about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of that word? And read through scriptures as if it is God's manual on your success, on how to have life to the full. And maybe today, um, I'm going to encourage you. If you haven't already listened to Sean's message, one of the best messages I've ever heard two weeks ago, he talked on the Holy Spirit. Because this is the big difference between religion, the things we're talking about, and that Holy Spirit that you as a believer need to allow the Holy Spirit to have not part of, but every aspect of your life. So if you go to heritageqc.com, click on the media tab. I think it's the week two called Empowered. You will hear Sean's message on how to utilize that Holy Spirit. It is what allows us to truly be supernatural. And then maybe you're here today and we've talked and there's a pressing, you know, that, that hand that's on your shoulder your parents used to have. Maybe it's that little finger that, that is gently pressed against your heart. And you know what you're supposed to start doing. There's something you're supposed to start. There's something you're supposed to be involved with. There's something you're supposed to engage. I don't know what that is, but my God does. And you're here today, and I want to encourage you to take that step. You will never, ever regret doing what God tells you to do because it's always for your good, his glory. He turns the ordinary into extraordinary all the time. It's a specialty. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love for us. And Lord, to hear real life stories, not superficial religious churchy stories of how good it was to grow up and things were perfect, but Lord, there's hurt and pain. There's some deep hurt and pain, and yet you died to pay for all sins. Things that we choose to do and things that have been chosen to do upon us that we have no control over. And somehow in your great sovereign plan, God, you use the hurt and pain. You use the ordinary to bring healing, to bring life, and let your incredible story, your incredible light shine through us. So today, Lord, when we not just hear what's been said, what you've wanted to say to us today, but as we stand up here in a few minutes to worship, that we do business with you and we apply those things because you're a loving Heavenly Father that even with the aspect of conviction, those prodings that we get are ultimately for our good and for your glory. We give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen.